All right, well, word to the wise, you, uh, you daddies out there, if you've got a little girl and, uh, and you're going to go to a wedding, don't, don't tell her that it's going to be a princess party, because there are some, uh, some unintended consequences that come from that. We experienced this last night. I, I thought I would, uh, would kind of build some excitement, and so I, uh, I said, hey, Darcy, we're going to go to a princess party tonight, and she's like, princess party? Oh my goodness, you know, she just got all so excited. So, so then we get there, and what ends up happening is that she sees that shiny white dress, and like that's the princess, which means she needs to be as close to the princess as possible at all times. And she's the only one that gets to dance with the princess. And who is this dude that thinks that he gets to be around my princess? Because this is my princess. And then you have to drag her kicking and screaming from the dance floor. So just so you know, uh, don't tell your little girl that she's going to a princess party. But one thing I noticed is that she got something that, uh, that a lot of people at weddings seem to miss. I've, I've been around a lot of weddings, and, you know, a lot of those days, uh, people, people miss it. You know, the, the groom somehow, sometimes, thinks that it's about him. All you guys out there that are single, the day comes that you get married, just know that day has absolutely nothing to do with you. And if you miss that, you will pay heavily. Uh, Mother of the bride. Lots of times I've seen it. Mother of the bride seems to think that this day is somehow about her, that that she's the main character in the story. And I'm just telling you, if you're going to be the mother of a bride one day, don't don't make that mistake. It's going to cost you. You know, there's sometimes just some dude that shows up that thinks that this party's for him. And so he tries to be the guy, you know, when he gives the toast that everybody gives their attention. And he really thinks that people are going to walk away and go, hey, can you believe that incredible toast that guy just gave? (laughs) Hey, let me just tell you, if you're that guy, the party's not for you. That day is about the girl in the white dress. And Darcy got that yesterday, at least, that, that the princess is here and it's about her because her eyes did not leave the princess the whole time. All right? You know, we, we do the same thing. We, uh, a lot of times, miss who the main character of the story is. And we miss it a lot of times when we read the Bible. And that's one of the reasons we're going through this series that we're talking about the minor characters. And when we say minor characters, we're talking about these, these characters that are in God's Word, but they get a section, but, you know, they're these little kind of tucked in the corner, just a few sentences, just one little part, and you're, you're left a little bit going, all right, well, what was that story about? Why, why were they in there? But, you know, really, if you think about it, even the characters that we all would recognize, you know, the, the ones that get a, a, a lot of space, the, uh, the Davids or the Pauls, the grand scheme of things, you know that they're also, they're also minor characters because this story is about, is about God. And every, every Bible story that we tell, at the end of the day, the, the Bible story has a main character, a hero, and it's not David. And they, David's, I'm pretty sure David got that, and it's not Paul. And Paul understood that he wasn't the hero. There, there is a hero, and it's, it's their God. And we're really going to see it in this story today about the Queen of Sheba. You know, the last few, uh, few months, we've got a house that is being built beside ours, which is always a really fun experience. You don't have to even use your alarm clock anymore because at the break of dawn, you, you hear hammers going, you know. In the evenings, we get to sit outside, and there's very festive music playing. And so 
So we get to have a party every night and pretend like we're in some tropical island. You know, it's, it's pretty awesome. And there's all kinds of benefits. And one of the benefits, uh, besides catching nails in your tire when you drive through the construction site, uh, another benefit is that you get to watch this thing, this thing be built, created. You know, there's nothing but just this lot there. And then the guys come in, and they start moving the dirt around. And, you know, that's, that's one thing that has to be done to create this, this building. But is the point the, the dirt workers? You know, I'm sure they walk away that day, and they, they move it around, and they're like, man, dude, we, we made this thing flat. But if they just stop there, isn't that horribly incomplete, right? They're, they're part of the story, but they're not the main character. Or the guys that come in and lay the foundation, or when they start to, you know, take those studs and, man, put this thing together. The other day it was the roofers, you know. Every different crew that comes in and they do their work, they play some part in it. But whether they're happy or not really doesn't matter because who's the story about? Well, it's the homeowner. It's when the homeowner walks into that place. Is this what they wanted? So everybody plays their role, but it's, there's a bigger story. And we have to remember that every time we come to the Bible, that there is a story, that this is a very true story about a living God, the Creator, who loves humanity so much that even in, in our brokenness and sin, that He would redeem us unto Himself. And He is making His name famous on the globe and drawing people to Himself. And he's about something. And your story, whatever it looks like today, and my story, whatever it looks like today, whatever happened this week, whatever's in store for you next week, all of our stories collectively and all these stories that we're going to tell in the story of Queen of Sheba this morning, it all falls in part of that bigger story. And we better, we better get that because if you miss that, you're going you're gonna to be really confused and life's going to be really frustrating. I've had a couple things just in our world happen recently that I just had to be reminded of that. Our, this is God's story, and I'm, I'm privileged to get to be a part of it and to watch what he's going to do in his story. Uh, I don't normally call for an amen, but can anybody got an amen to that? Which just means, yes, I agree with what you just said. That's good. That, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, all right, well, let's, let's look at this. It's the Queen of Sheba, which may catch you a little bit off guard that, that uh, the Queen of Sheba is even found in the Scriptures. You may have referenced that or heard of the Queen of Sheba before. I, it's really funny to me because I, uh, the first time I, I heard or saw that the Queen of Sheba was in the Bible, it felt a bit like, I don't know if y'all have ever had this, but when you find out that some famous person likes the same kind of thing that you like or has been to the same place that you've been, and you're like, oh, that's a famous person. Oh, but they... Or especially, like, if I find out that some famous person, I find out that they're a believer, and it's like, oh, oh my goodness, like, I, that's, that's incredible, you know? Uh, the Queen of Sheba, if y'all ever heard that phrase, who does she think she is? The Queen of Sheba? Anybody heard that? I mean, it's, it's pretty well known. I mean, you know, basically it means the girl walks in, and she's dressed to the nines, and she's kind of got her nose in the air, and she's walking in, and somebody would go, uh, who does she think she is? Queen of Sheba. I mean, probably a more crass but better known phrase for the same thing is, you know, that she doesn't really think that she needs to use the Febreze when she leaves the ladies' room. <laughs> but this is the same thing, just different. You would say, the Queen of Sheba, who does she think she is? The Queen of Sheba. And so I'd heard that, and I was, I was familiar with that. And then when I said, oh my goodness, the Queen of Sheba was actually a person 
who's found in the Bible. Kind of felt like, you know, when I found out that Johnny Cash, who I already loved, was from Arkansas. Oh, man. Hey, we got something in common. So the Queen of Sheba, but, you know, that's the phrase that we use for her. But when we finish today, I don't know that that's really uh, the, the kind of the the thing that Queen of Sheba should teach us or the thing, the thing that we should reference her to is the, is the woman with her nose in the air because I don't see a woman with her nose in the air in this story. See what you think. We're going to read it together. It's 1 Kings chapter 10. And it's really interesting because this almost verbatim, this same story is in Second Chronicles chapter 9. So two times. We're also going to look at a time that it's referenced in the Gospels and in Matthew. And it's referenced the same story as told in Luke. So this Sheba, she's, she's pretty important for us to understand. And here we go, chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great uh, retinue, which is a new word to me, but basically it means an, an entourage with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all of her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and, and his burnt offerings that he offered in the house of the Lord. Uh, there was no more breath in her. Isn't that an interesting phrase? There was, she was breathless. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came, and my own eyes have seen it. And behold, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed is the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought uh, from Ophir a very great amount of omeg wood and precious stones. And the king made of this omeg wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house. Also lyres and harps and singers. So such a mugwood has uh, come or been, no such a mugwood has come or been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked, besides what was given to her by the bounty of, the, of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. This... Uh, this queen of Sheba, she, a lot of different places have claimed her and their traditions, but it looks like most people agree Ethiopia, you know, uh, Ethiopia, Yemen, uh, Eritrea, that area. In fact, I've got Google Maps here so we can kind of get an idea where this is. 
there at the base of the Red Sea and what it would mean for this queen and her entourage to make the journey to Jerusalem. I mean, if we walked it today, what Google Maps says, it would take us near 35 days. And that's just us walking. It says that she had all these camels carrying all more spices. I mean, it says very much, very much, very much. But with the number it gives us of gold is 120 talents. Now, each talent of gold is, is 75 pounds. So you can imagine how much that weighs. In today's currency, each one of those talents would be uh, worth over a million dollars. So we're talking about, you know, over $120 million worth of these, this gold, not to mention the spices and precious stones and other things. And this huge entourage that she has, and she makes this, this really, really big journey all the way to Jerusalem. Now, why would she do that? What would cause a queen to do something like that? Did she go to Solomon to try to make some, some treaty, some, uh, you know, some trade deal? Was she trying to, to get him to, to come alongside her against some uh, foe that they both uh, wanted to take? No. Something else was driving her. And it's really two big things. She had a, a real deal curiosity, and she had some specific questions. You know, you look at her curiosity... It says here that uh, she had heard of the fame of Solomon. And it's interesting in the way it says this. She had heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. So she had heard of the fame of Solomon, but really this fame of Solomon was due to his God. And so, like we were talking about before, Solomon is the minor character, and here God is the, is the character who God has given Solomon this wisdom and blessed him greatly. And the fame of this blessing had covered the globe, and it had reached this, this empire of Sheba, and she heard about it, and she was responding. This, this is what God does. He blesses and protects and surrounds his people and everyone looking on. It says what happened to her when she saw that it was true. It says that she was breathless. She was awestruck. Her jaw hit the ground when she saw it. And she goes on to say a little bit later that it, the half of it had not been told to her. So here she is. She's in Sheba. She gets news of this incredible kingdom. And, and the stories she tells are so amazing that she gets so curious that she takes her entourage and takes the time to make this long, hard journey all the way to see it with her own eyes. She gets there and the breath is out of her because it's not even, what she was told is not even half as much as what it really is. She is absolutely astounded. It also says if, if you watch her transition, she comes at the fame of this Solomon and what's happened in his kingdom. But then in verse uh, verse 9, it says, happy are your, or verse 8, happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the name, or blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Blessed, which is something that's, uh, it's, term, it's not a normally a term that I would use if I, say, if I used it for praise, but when it says, blessed be the Lord your God, she's saying, praise be to the Lord your God. So here's this queen from another part of the globe. She's made this long journey. She sees this thing confirmed that she'd heard about, 
and she is drawn in to give praise. To who? She didn't fall on her knees before Solomon. She gave him a lot of gifts, but she didn't begin to worship Solomon. That's not the way the story goes. She sees the fame and she recognizes that's what, what's happening here is not normal. And it's not this, that this guy is incredible. It, it's that his God is incredible. It's miraculous, and she, she praises God. So she's drawn in by, by her curiosity. And what she finds is that this thing is true. You know, I don't know if you've seen this happen. I've seen it happen a few different times in a few different ways. Uh, I, I heard a guy speaking one time. This is just one of the best pictures. He, uh, he and his family had moved to this small village in this place where nobody really had ever heard the name of Jesus. And they start trying to, to share about Jesus with people. And nobody really wants to hear it. And nobody's really sure what to do with this family that looks really different in their community. And so everybody's kind of shunning them and treating them really badly. And weeks and months go by, and they're really frustrated because they're, they just feel like nothing is happening and nobody cares. And then an earthquake hits that area. And it's, it's pretty bad, but their house is still standing. And they wake up the next morning, and he hears a knock at the door. And he goes, and, and he opens the door, and there's a person there with a, a pail in their hand. And then he looks, and there's a line behind them all the way as far as he can see, and everybody has little, little pails in their hands, little buckets. He says, what do, you, what, what, do you, what do you want? And he said, well, the earthquake took out the town's water supply, and your house is the only house in the village that has a well that we can get, get water from. How, how cool is that, man? God blessing this family in the middle of this community, and everybody just stands at the door waiting. I love the way this guy said this. He said, well, I decided that my only choice was to stand up on a rock out in front of the house and say, hey, this water, you'll still be thirsty afterwards, but I know a water that you'll never thirst again. You know anybody that said that? Just, that's quoting Jesus. And it was pretty incredible because God had given this platform. He had worked so hard to have some kind of platform to share about Jesus with these people. And all of a sudden, God's blessing upon him in the midst of, a, of chaos and crisis drew people to himself. I've got a, I've got a good friend, another uh, city in Arkansas, that his father started a business. And he just, this man loves Jesus and did things right. And God has year after year after year blessed, blessed this business. And because of it, he's added employees and more employees and more employees. And he tells me stories about the way that they love on and care for this community of people that are connected to their, to their business that now is just ever-growing. And in the, in the company that they work for, everybody recognizes that, that this is the most successful of all the dealers of this one product. And God just continues to bless it, continues to bless it, and draws attention. And every time that they get a platform to speak about the, the success that they've had, they bring attention to the fact that this is something that God has done and not them. Because they followed the, you know, just wisdom that they found in the scriptures. And you know what the name of their business is? Beacon. You know what beacon means? It's uh, a device designed to draw attention. It's the perfect picture. That's, that's what God is doing with Solomon. That's what God 
was doing with David. That's what God was doing with Paul. That's what God is going to do in your life. He's going to make people curious when they look at what, it, what happened. When your marriage is still alive after years pass by and hard things happen, everybody around you is going to go, what? How is that possible? You know? When, when your, your children, you know, when they, when they act differently, when, when they see hard stuff come and you still stand. God's going to make his name famous through us. And then the second thing happens, she comes with questions. Real deal specific questions. And we know they're specific questions because if you look over at, uh, in Matthew, when Jesus references this, this event, he, he t- he's talking to some of the religious guys of the day who think they've got it all figured out. And they don't have time to listen to him, and they're a little bit mad that he's talking with, with authority because they think they're the only ones that have authority. And he references this Sheba, this Sheba by saying this, the queen, of, the queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, someone greater than Solomon is here, talking about himself. So he's saying that, that this generation will be condemned by this queen of Sheba because she had questions and she came from the ends of the earth to sit before Solomon and she was teachable and humble enough to make this journey and to bring questions that she knew she didn't have answers to, to bring those before, before Solomon, before somebody who she believed might have the answers. That's the reason I don't think we can say, well, who does she think she is, the Queen of Sheba? Because I don't see Sheba like this with her nose in the air. I see, I see this queen, this amazing queen, who was dirty rich, right? I mean, she was wealthy. She had, she had everything, everything that she could want. And somehow she didn't have everything that she could want. You know, we, we buy and sell and trade the idea that, that if you have enough money, you'll be happy. And all the while, everything around us tells us that that is just not true. Because, right, the wealthiest people in the world are among the most unhappy and depressed and in trouble, right? We, we all know that that's true. And yet we still continue to buy and sell that notion. Here's the Queen of Sheba. She has everything, and yet there are questions that she has unanswered. And they're driving her insane enough that she would make this trip all the way to visit visit Solomon. And it says that he answered all of her questions. He answered all of them. She asked him the hard questions, and and he gave her answers. You know, this, um, this ability to be humble and teachable is really, really, really rare. It's really rare. I, uh, I don't know that I have a whole lot of examples because we all think that we've got it all figured out. It's the reason that the gospel is so hard for people to accept, for us to accept, that we don't have it all, that we need Jesus, that we're broken without him. And to accept our brokenness and our need and to humble ourselves is the, the stumbling block. It's, it's the hard part. You know, I, we, uh, we bought a uh, storage building, a plastic storage building to put in the backyard a few months ago. And as my norm, I didn't read the instructions. Because it looks like you should just be able to put that together. I mean, all the parts were there, I thought. 
I start putting it together, and I start to install the windows in this little building. And they've got this kind of light-colored film over the top of them. And, and in my, you know, tremendous intellect, I deduce that that film is supposed to stay there so that, you know, it's just not a clear window. It just kind of makes it nice where sunlight can get in and you can have light, but it's not, you know, a see-through window. Not real smart. Didn't read the instructions. Installed the windows, and they're really hard to uninstall, I can tell you from experience. And then days start to pass by, and the weather starts to hit that little thin sheet of paper that's on the outside of that window. And Terry goes, I think that paper was supposed to come off there. No, babe, no, babe, that's, that's supposed to stay on there. And then some more weeks go by, and you can tell that it's just kind of little bits are falling off, and it's looking really, really, really bad. But, you know, I, I was pretty confident that I knew what that was supposed to do. And then it got so bad that I had to go rip the windows out. It took days for, uh, you know, now that, they, that that paper had been on there out in the weather for, to get all that paper off there and to reinstall the windows, which I could have done in the beginning if I had just read the instructions. There's another, I mean, there, there, I've got tons of these stories. There's another time that we had a, a, a garbage disposal that wasn't working, and I spent hours underneath it, like, trying to figure out how to get out of there, whatever was causing the trouble. And then after hours and so much frustration... I YouTubed it, and guess what? You take a normal screwdriver, and there's a little place around the bottom of it, and you just turn it. <laughs> Seriously, to me, I mean, not even a minute once I, I YouTubed it, you know? Being teachable is not something that's really high on our list, you know? Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's, I'm just testimony. But I, I, I would say that that's probably true for a lot of us. You know, uh, it blew me away. When you, when you see it, you do get floored. And uh, uh, a few years ago, I, I got asked to come speak at this church, and uh, we were going to do this series of messages on the Sermon on the Mount. And five different times, I was going to stand in front of this group and, and talk about the Sermon on the Mount. And the pastor of the church, who had been in ministry longer than I'd been alive, is sitting on the front row. That's so much respect for this guy. And he's on the front row with a notepad in his hands taking notes of, of, of what I was saying. And it was so distracting to me because I'm like, man, I, I'm like, this is a guy that I just would sit at his feet and listen to anything he had to say, and he was taking notes. Why? Well, every time I was around that guy, that guy was just, he was just teachable. It didn't matter who you were or where you're from, he could, he could learn from you. He was that humble and that teachable. That is, that's rare. But that's the example we see in the Queen of Sheba. She comes... Asking questions. And guess what? In her humility and her teachability, she leaves with her questions answered. Praising the one true God. That's the way, that's the way we have to come to it. You know, um, Terry and I, when we, when we started out in our wedding day, I really thought that we had everything that we needed. You know, we had, we had a friendship. And we had a romance. And I'm like, dude, you got friendship and you got romance? You got a marriage, right? I mean, this, is, this thing is going to be cake. And then about day two, we start to fight. And I find out that uh, we have the same fight 
over and over and over again. It's like, you know, you just hit rewind and have the same fight again, same fight again. For a year, only it gets more and more and more intense because we're getting more and more frustrated because we're more and more finding out that, hey, you know what? Friendship and romance just weren't cutting it. And finally, when we get to this point that we realize that, that, that it's not going to fix itself, we humble ourselves before some older friends. And uh, it's interesting. The first thing they did was they did a personality test with us. And we looked at each other and we're like, hey, this is why we're fighting because you, you're not like me. And I'm not like you. Not just male and female. I mean, we are, we are not alike. Like, on that test, we're like, you know, the two opposite sides of the spectrum. And then things started to get better. If we had never humbled ourselves to that couple, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we'd be selling, tw- celebrating 20 years this year, you know? It begins with being humble and teachable. You know, uh, last night was my Darcy girl's first wedding to go to. And I had a blast watching when the princess came in, watching her eyes light up and sparkle, and her, the breath in her lungs to leave her because she was awestruck. I, I enjoyed watching her each thing that happened that she didn't know what the next thing was going to be. When is the cake going to come? When is the, you know, her questions. I, I enjoyed watching her be inquisitive about what this event was and what was going to happen. I enjoyed watching her. Now, I, for me, I've been to a lot of weddings. And so I'm a little bit cynical, right? Man, I hope it gets done quick. <laughs> Man, I hope they have chocolate strawberries because you've got to have that at a wedding. I mean, there's a, there's a few things that you just like, all right, all right we've done this before. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kiss the bride. Let's go on. But it wasn't like that for her. You know, we should be like this child. Not the person who's lived long enough to be cynical and not to appreciate the awestruck wonder of our God and his creation, in his presence with us, in his provision. We let him provide for us and don't even pay attention. We watch him protect us and don't even take notice. We move on through life and don't stop in awe. And then we have our questions, but instead of humbling ourselves, we just assume that we're prideful enough that we're going to figure it out on our own. What if we were like the Queen of Sheba? How different would things be? Let me pray that we would be. Father, I... uh,